All right, church. David and I are experimenting with this, so hopefully it will get clear. It already sounds better, David. We don't know what we're doing. I certainly don't know what I'm doing. But if you can't hear, if you can't understand it, raise your hand. Well, I know, you're the one that told me. But I think he fixed it. Did, it. did it help? It did? Okay. A little bit. Wait till we get that new system. Ooh. There's going to be speakers over here, over there, back there, back there. You're not going to be able to get away from this place. All right. Back to our study in Hebrews. But let me remind you again. David said he still has tickets for the raffle for a half a cow and a half a pig that'll take place next Saturday at the, at the little country market we're going to do here. Okay, so you all keep that in mind. You don't have to be present to win. Uh, if you want it, and all the proceeds from that little raffle goes to a new sound system. All right. So... We are without excuse. We, we got to have a new sound system. Back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. That chapter on faith. I introduced it to you last week by emphasizing that the author starts out not with a definition of faith, there's nowhere in the Bible that faith is defined. Did you know that? Nowhere. But rather a description of faith, of what it is. Now we can piece together the fact from what he tells us here in verse 1 that faith is a miracle. It really is. Because faith as a fruit of the Spirit living inside of you produces what our author describes here in verse 1 as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence, concrete evidence of invisible things, things you can't see. You see, what the Spirit does in you is to produce the substance of the things we hope for and produces in you the evidence of that which you cannot see. Now, before we get into the examples that he gives us in this chapter, and there, there are many, before we get into that, I want to rehearse again with you real quickly what your responsibility is in this matter, in the matter of faith. Your responsibility is to want to believe. Isn't it? If you want to believe, you release the Spirit of God inside of you to create faith that our author is talking about here. 
Don't be running around trying to have faith. I know the religious world will tell you you got to have faith to get rich and prosperous. you got to have faith to get over your illness. you got to have faith to get your kids under control. you got to have faith to manage your life, etc., etc. But they're telling you, what they're really telling you is you really got to try to have faith which is very similar to you trying to lay an egg. You ain't going to do it no matter how much you try. It ain't happening. Because faith does not originate with you. It originates with God. His faith and what He's doing in you is where your faith comes from. And while we're at it, I might as well go ahead and remind you again of the kind of faith I'm talking about. The kind of faith our author in Hebrews tells us about. And that faith is a genuine faith. It's not faked. It's a genuine faith. And when I express that difference to you between this genuine faith and what often passes for faith as a toxic faith. People kind of look at me strange and they say, what do you mean toxic faith? Toxic faith is probably one of our biggest enemies. And it's developed naturally in all of us. And I think that'll become clear as we focus on the contrast between toxic faith an authentic faith regarding its origin, where it comes from, regarding its focus, what it's zeroed in on, and regarding its expression. Big, big difference. Let me just illustrate quickly with something you all know about. You all read about it, heard about it, and all that sort of thing. You remember 9-11? You remember those 17 hijackers that hijacked those planes and turned them into weapons of mass destruction? You remember that? They did it in faith. Yeah, they were exercising a faith, a faith so strong in them that they were willing to sacrifice their own life. But that faith was a toxic faith. It did not come from God. It was toxic. And the evidence of that is displayed in the destruction we reaped. See, there's a big difference between toxic faith and authentic faith. So when I talk about faith, when our author mentions faith, which he has been since the very beginning of this letter, he has continually talked about and called us to faith. He's talking about an authentic faith, not a toxic faith. So we need to know the difference. So just a simple little outline I gave you will help you. Faith, true faith, originates inside of you as a fruit of the Spirit. True faith originates within you as a response to love and forgiveness. 
Toxic faith, on the other hand, originates outside of you. That's why I'm saying that we're all been, we've all been conditioned with toxic faith. Now, I'll just use myself as an example. See if it applies. I grew up in a household of faith. You might say, my little man was a preacher. And so, as I've shared with you before, at a young age, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to Sunday morning church, I was drugged to Sunday night church, and I was drugged to Wednesday night prayer meeting. Because my old man was a preacher. Did I have a choice in that? Oh, no. Mm-mm. I didn't have a choice at all. My dad wasn't, wasn't really one to abuse me physically, but there's something me and my brother dreaded. And that was what we called the infamous thump. We had them old burr haircuts and you know, our little bald heads be sitting there We'd be fidgeting and playing around, and here comes that thump. Boom. And you could hear it all over the church. <laughs> I mean, it was a thump, you know. I didn't have a choice. My faith didn't originate within me. Not until I was 11 years old. And all that time, I was believing what I was told to believe. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's the way you were raised. I don't care what your background is. Doesn't matter what religious perspective you came from. As a youngster, you were told what you had to believe. And if you rebelled against that, you were somehow punished. That's not true faith. That's toxic faith. I use it in illustration a lot. When I'm talking with folks and counselors, and say, if I hold a gun to your head and ask you, do you love me? What are you going to say? Of course I do. Of course I do. I love you, man. Just can't have my bud light. You're forced to believe, right? You're coerced into believing. Unfortunately, that doesn't just happen in childhood. It happens to a lot of adults caught up in a religious system. You're coerced into believing whatever they tell you to believe. That is not genuine, authentic faith. That's toxic faith. Now we've all heard about those rebellious teenage years. I'm kind of glad they happened. Did you know that? And you know why I'm glad they happened? They happened because it's at that point that that teenager, that child who has been inculcated with toxic faith his entire life Finally, 
rejects everything he's been said and lets God talk to him. That's where that rebellion comes from. So you got to make that switch sooner or later when you're growing up. Did you know that? Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of 40 and 50 year olds that haven't grown up yet. They're still babes. Why? Because they haven't based their faith on what God has told them personally. They base their faith on what some preacher or some teacher or somebody else in authority has told them they need to believe. That's toxic faith. Not authentic faith. Now let's see the result of that. When that happens, when that originates within you, when that faith comes within you as a fruit of the Spirit, then and then only do you have the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and you have absolute conviction that is true. Now, there are many people that say, well, you know, I, I believe, you know, I believe it's true. I'm convinced, I'm, you know, I believe that's absolutely true. Well, let's test your faith by considering what your focus is now that you have faith. Let's see whether it's authentic or toxic, okay? Just ask yourself this one question. What is my attention on? What is my focus on? If my focus is on myself, and what I'm going to do to get the things hoped for, to see the evidence of things not seen, if my focus is on my own efforts, my faith is toxic. And I can't tell you how many religious folks have got that toxic faith. You know why? Because they spend hours they spend weeks and days and months trying to figure out a better way to kiss God's butt to please Him by their religious efforts to do this or don't do that. That's toxic. Because their attention and their focus is still on themselves. And everything they say and everything they do is absolutely self-centered. When your focus is entirely upon God and what He's already done and what He said in His Word He has completed for you, then you begin to have an, ex an experience of authentic faith, not toxic faith. You see, the focus of authentic faith is always on God. What He's doing. What He has done. What He's doing for you, you couldn't do for yourself. When your focus is on Him, you're expressing authentic faith. When your focus is on His Spirit, working in you, teaching you, guiding you into all truth, you have authentic faith.
But when your focus is on other people and their wonderful ideas and plans for how you ought to act, your focus tells you you have not an authentic faith, but a toxic faith. But finally, the most evident display of the difference between toxic faith and authentic faith is how that faith is expressed. Toxic faith is always expressed by seeking to control and manipulate other people. Always. It's always filled with a sense of resentment, bitterness, and hatred. That's what toxic faith produces. You wonder where the hate comes from in this world? It comes from a toxic faith. Authentic faith, on the other hand, is expressed in tolerance, acceptance, forgiveness, love, and compassion for others. Radically different. So you can tell the difference when you have authentic faith and when you have toxic faith by your relationship to others. Now, I know that's a long way around to review what we came to, but we're going to look at the first six verses here. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But then he goes on to say, for by it, by what? By this authentic faith, by it, the elders obtained a good report. Now what the heck does that mean? They got a good report. Got a good report from who? They got a good report from God. And those who were paying attention around them also saw that. And he's going to give us a whole list. But just in the introduction here, he only talks about two elders that obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds which were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Your whole life is based on faith in one way or another. All of you out there right now are expressing faith in the chairs you're seated in. They might fall apart and you fall, fall on your butt, right? But no, you're trusting. You're trusting those chairs. See, all of us, all of us express faith in the carnal sense, in the natural sense, in the world. And what our author is telling us here is, listen, what's holding this world together, what's keeping your chairs up, what's keeping your heart beating is the Word of God. So that the things seen, what you can look around and see, were not made of things you could see. They're invisible. That's the trouble with faith. You can't see it. He goes on to talk about Abel. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. 
by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaks today. You all know the story of Cain and Abel. You know how they brought two boys brought sacrifices. God accepted Cain's sacrifice. He rejected or Abel's sacrifice. He rejected Cain's sacrifice. Why? It wasn't what they brought. It wasn't the sacrifice that they offered. Cain grew stuff. And so he brought part of the stuff he grew as a sacrifice. Abel was a shepherd. So he brought part of his flock as a sacrifice. It was not what they brought. The author tells us right here why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. For by faith, Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. You can sacrifice all you want to, but if that sacrifice is prompted by that toxic faith rather than authentic faith, it's not pleasing to God. It's not acceptable to God. Then he mentions Enoch. Enoch's a kind of a unique character. There's only a couple of verses written about him in the Old Testament. But Enoch, he says, by faith, Enoch was translated. What do you mean translated? He was caught up into heaven. That he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, while he was here on this earth, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Abel pleased God with a sacrifice brought by faith. Any pleased God. So how the heck are we going to please God? See, this is the big issue here. What's it going to take for us to be pleasing to God? Various religions of the world will tell you, well, this is what you need to do. And then they give you a somewhat longer list of things you need to quit doing. Where's the responsibility? On you and your behavior. That's not going to please God. No matter how strict you are and your performance of your religious duty, it will not please God. Our author explains this in verse 6. He says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And a lot of people have trouble praying to God. Well, God doesn't listen to me. God doesn't hear my prayers, this, that, and the other. What they're not understanding is in order to come to God, you have to first of all believe that He is. Now normally we don't believe that God is 
until everything else we've trusted in is gone. Everything else we've tried is gone. And then we say, well, maybe there is a God. You've got to believe that He is and that He is the rewarder. He's the one that makes it happen of them that diligently seek Him. Now, Paul had this problem in the very first century with those initial Christians in the region of Galatia. And so he wrote this letter to the Galatian churches. And in that letter, he was very explicit about what it's going to take to please God. In chapter 5, he gives us a little snapshot of grace as a lifestyle. He says that it doesn't matter what you do or don't do. Think about that for a minute. Now he used a specific religious kind of a ritual that the Jews were all big on back in his day. He used circumcision. He says whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised avails nothing with God. What does that mean? What you do or what you don't do counts anything with God. You say, well, why should I do anything? Exactly. It doesn't count with God. You miss the whole point when you're thinking that your good works, based on your own knowledge of good and evil, is going to make God happy. It's not your works. What you do or don't do, that's not what's important to God. What in the world is that? But faith that authentic faith which works by love. Now that's a little, little synopsis of the lifestyle of grace. It begins in faith. Wanting to believe the Spirit of God produces faith in you. Now it might be the size of a grain of a mustard seed. It may be little in fact, Jesus often told his disciples and called them, O ye of little faith. And that's Sandy's nickname for me, O ye. <laughs> See, it might be just a little tiny grain of mustard seed, but that little tiny bit of faith will move mountains. Why? Because God produced it. He produced it in you. Why? Because you wanted to believe. That's why. And the Spirit knew that. And so He gave you the gift of faith. And you entered in, as Paul describes in Romans chapter 5, by faith we have access into this grace wherein we stand. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the grace of God. 
Now many people confuse that with mercy. He didn't say by faith we have access into this mercy in which we stand. He said by faith we have access into this grace wherein we stand. Grace is radically different than mercy. Grace is a supernatural way, beginning with that gift of faith, the supernatural way that God, through His Spirit, works in you to produce the character of Christ. That's grace. It's what God is doing. Not what you're doing or not doing. It's what He did. You know, I've, over the years, I've had a lot of people come up to me after a sermon or a class or something. Man, that was great. I really appreciate what you said. You know what that means to me? Nothing. You know why? Because I didn't say it. God said it. I think it was Moody that announced one day that if you come to my services, and he had a big church in Chicago, if you come to my services and you leave and you're impressed with me, you missed the whole point. And I failed. But if you come and you go away impressed with God, then I've done my job. See, that focus has got to be on Him. So by faith, we have access into this grace wherein we stand. God's working in you and through you to accomplish His plan for your life and for those around you. But it doesn't stop there. Because when you're standing in grace, you are entering what our author of Hebrews calls the new covenant. The new deal between God and humanity. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what God has done for you. You couldn't do. That's the new covenant. And when you enter into that grace of the new covenant, because it's a covenant of grace, it's God doing for you what you've never been able to do for yourself or anybody else. When you enter into that new covenant, you enter into a new lifestyle. And when you've exercised that faith that God has given you, that little mustard seed of faith, a very miraculous thing happens to you. You have hope. Not wishful thinking, oh, no. I wish it would be this way or that. No. You have hope. A joyful expectation about your future. You know you're okay. Because you have that hope. Based on that faith. What comes after that? You have the love of God. Flowing through you. When you're no longer worried about yourself and what you're going to get, what you haven't got that you should have got, and your efforts to get it, 
you can start thinking about other people. You can start believing for them. You can actually begin to love other people like Christ. Whether you realize it or not, that's why you're here. You might think that you're here to work hard, make money, go on vacation, have a wonderful life here, and get all the toys before you die. That's not why you're here. That's not why God left you here. He left you here to do a job. That job is summarized in Jesus' new commandment when He said, love one another just like I've loved you. Now, He didn't select out a certain group and say, love these folks because they make you look good. He didn't select out a certain group and say, love these folks because they're going to do something for you. No. He made a blanket commandment. Love one another, even as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You see, our job that He left us here with to do is just simply to love other people. Wherever they are, wherever you encounter them, to love them on Christ. Now don't try to do that religiously. Don't try to fake it. It don't work. People see right through it. And they know better. Love is genuine. Based on genuine faith. Based on real hope. That satisfies your soul long enough for you to think about somebody besides yourself. And that's a miracle. Because we're all born selfish and self-centered from day one. That's why Job said, man is a few days and full of trouble. The only way out of that is by that faith and what God says He's done for you. Trusting Him is the only way to please Him. Because that's all He cares about. What does God need you to do for Him? He doesn't need anything. He's God. What does He want from you? Trust Him to believe that. Everything you do, everything you say, your whole life. Trusting Him. Let's close in prayer. Father God, as we come into Your presence now, I thank You. I thank You, Lord, for that little bitty tiny mustard seed of faith that You're willing to give us as we want to believe, Father. We want to believe that what You say is true. We want to believe that Your Word is true. We want to believe that You are faithful. We want to believe in Your promises of the New Covenant. So we ask You, Father, 
bloom our faith. Cause it to be real to us by your Spirit. Remove it from an intellectual concept and make it a true motive of our hearts. And we may learn to trust you and walk in faith. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you all for being here. Go in faith. The Lord bless you this week.